We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm up your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello, CMOS girlies. Welcome back to the pod. I'm Kate. I'm here with Emma. It is December 11th, you know, before the holiday season. It was kind of the first shitty cold day in New York. Um, how you doing over there, dog? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm definitely recovering from biking in the freezing rain this morning. I was very confused with the weather app because it said it was 43 degrees. And I was like, that's warm. That's warm. I go outside. Yeah, because yeah, like 43 degrees like is warm for, <laughs> for Emma and I. Yeah. December. Um, and then I went outside and I was like, oh, my hands are actually immediately just like icicles. Uh, so that was like really fun. I don't know why I did that to myself, but you know, in the wintertime, you really just got to get that energy out in the morning just to like feel some sort of way. Otherwise yeah. you just want to like rot in your bed all day. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm good. Like Kate said, we're getting close to Christmas and I leave on the 17th of December, which is coming up. And so I am entering that stage where I'm just using whatever is left in my fridge for foods and meals. I'm sure everyone has been in that position before where it's like, I've got three days. I'm not going to the grocery store because I don't want to spend money. What can I make into a meal out of like a can of beans and some like frozen broccoli and like maybe two carrots that you have like left in your fridge. So the meals are getting questionable. Um, I, my lunches this week for work are going to be like very suspicious, but they're always suspicious. So no one will be shocked whatsoever, but I'm definitely excited to go home and have my parents just like cook me like home cooked meals every day. I think that's like the best part about going home. Um, so yeah, just gearing up for that. Yeah. I was going to say it good. It's good to go from like a, a low to a high, like just eating the most awful concoctions of slop then going to like your favorite home-cooked meal when you go back for the holidays so make sure you go to a really deep low before you go back to visit family if you are going to see your family 
Um, I'm doing good. I also ran outside in the rain, um, which is now causing me to feel like I am self-diagnosing myself with a sinus infection, but we're going to sleep on it and we'll think about it tomorrow. But that's all to say that today was day one of me training for the Big Sur Marathon, which I'm very excited about. I kind of have been vague on social media about it because I wasn't allowed to share until today. Um, it'll be in partnership with Hoka. I'm doing it with about 10 other journalists. And the logic behind the program is that me and another Hoka ambassador named Hella, who has a run streak since 2017, meaning that he's run every single day. He's like an exceptional athlete. And I'm super excited to work with him. We are mentoring a bunch of journalists who race their first marathon. And then there's going to be the Hoka executive director of the NAS Elite team, which is a professional running team. The head coach or the executive director of that team named Ben Rosario, he's going to be our actual running coach. So we're getting his advice. We have a nutritionist. We have a mental health specialist. And then Hella and I are going to be kind of like the Hoka ambassadors for this program. So it's going to be like 19 weeks up till the marathon. I'll be going to Arizona to train at the Flagstaff camp in February. And then the race is in the end of April. So I'm excited. I took like a few weeks off running after the New York marathon and I knew I was going to sign up for Big Sur, but I obviously didn't share on socials about it. So I was just taking my time off knowing that I'm going to have a big training block ahead. The biggest you know, change or challenge for this marathon. Um, it's not going to be like running a faster time and working on speed or anything, but this is a really hilly course. This elevation for the entire course is like something of 5,000 feet and New York City was under 1,000 feet as a reference point. So um, and another reference point, going over the Williamsburg Bridge by foot is about elevation of 190 feet. And the biggest climb for this race is 900 feet. So yeah, I'm just going to get really good at running inclines, I suppose. I signed up for it knowing it's going to be a hard race. So as I said, I'm not going for time, but I am just excited to do something challenging and sort of really get into distance running, I suppose. I feel so much healthier than I was last training cycle that I'm I'm really excited for it. So if you follow me on social media, you'll be seeing all the training stuff. But um, if you're a CMOS girly also running it, because I know we have some West Coast girlies, let me know and we can link and build on race day. This will be very exciting. This is kind of also your redemption race because you were yeah. supposed to run it last year. So, and you have one marathon under your belt. So I'm sure yeah. this one is going to go incredible. Um, not too many people can say that they, A, have ran a marathon, but to run two and technically like one year is yeah. pretty impressive. Yeehaw, girlies. Um, yeah, I did get injured last time running or training for it. So I'm very, you know, like I'm said, a little bit of a redemption era. Um, you, you wrote down coconut cult flavors, which I'm intrigued um yes so we are bestie bobs with mr coconut colt and we have been getting sent flavors pretty periodically it's some of like the best i would say food pr that kate and i have likely received in our lifetime doing sea muscarly stuff and i'm sure a lot of people are curious about a just like the flavors that we have tried just because there's so many limited edition flavors and just like based off of like their production that's like really hard for them to like mass produce a bunch of these limited flavor drops and get them you know sent to all the different grocery stores that they are carried at so i thought kate and i could maybe give our like top three coconut cult flavors um you can go first if you would like yeah i'm pulling up their instagram my phone because i know my favorite flavor is the chocolate banana bread one i feel like he nailed it with the amount of like flavors that are like mix-ins and stuff Mm -hmm. um so that's definitely in my top three what about you um I weirdly think the jelly donut was my favorite. Mm. It was like such a specific flavor, but like you said, he also just nailed it on like the flavor and had this like, you know, bliss ball kind of in the center. And it was just like, so like gooey and sweet and delicious. Um, So I would definitely say that one was likely my 
honestly perhaps my favorite yeah I also really really love the key lime pie I'm a huge key lime pie fan that just reminds me of my childhood when I I got key lime pie um down in Naples uh key lime pie I know is not everyone's cup of tea but that one just has a special place in my heart yeah the key lime pie one was good and then also like any of the stuff that has simple meals mixed in like the one that's like the cookies and cream is pretty good um I never got any of the pints of coconut cult and I don't know if you guys have gotten them either but he used to make like gelato maybe he still makes it I just feel like I never see it on socials these days but um that looks like a sweet treat um I'm curious I actually remember during the pandemic I don't think he does ice cream anymore but I remember health nuts randomly carried their ice cream pints and so I remember one day during the pandemic when I was still in New York I was like I'm losing my mind I need to like do something and so I walked to the health nuts near the UN and got myself the ice cream pint it was probably like the cookie dough one and I remember it being freaking delicious I think I finished it like in two days truthfully because like what else are you gonna do during the pandemic um yeah coconut cult bring back the gelato ice cream if you wanna yeah that one's good um I don't know they're all good for different ways and I think whenever we don't get the shipments I'm always at the store getting the chocolate one so that's kind of my favorite one that you can buy at stores if that makes sense um yeah the chocolate one's good you know the the plain original has a time and place but I'm definitely a flavored girly a flavored girly yeah I agree good shout out to coconut cults I've been devouring that stuff my gut's been just so healthy um my last point I've just been thinking about health and wellness stuff for a while because you know I listen to podcasts I'm on tiktok hours throughout the day I'm on social media and I feel like I don't know significantly or like the exact time zone time zone oh my god times that this shift has happened but I feel like wellness is like dying like I mm. wellness content let's say okay wellness practices people taking care of their personal personal well-being but I think the reason for this death and I, I'm actually going to write probably something about it just flush out my thoughts but I think the kind of obsessive perfection self-care routine jade roller 15 steps shit that you would see on TikTok like all of the really well-lit morning routine stuff i feel like people were really into that stuff and the content was booming and it was popping off um and i thought there was going to be this huge surge in wellness where every girl was taking their moon juice shit and like you know listening to sea moss girlies as an example and i feel like we all got very fatigued with keeping up with those routines and now i feel like i don't see wellness content i think behind the scenes some of us are still probably taking our magnesium you know doing gua shaing and stuff but I don't feel like it's as on social media as much like I don't see mainstream celebrities sharing about probiotics I don't see celebrities talking about the gut as much as they did and so I'm just kind of curious um what you guys think about that because as I said I'm still listening to you know the Peter Atias and the Hubermans of the world but I just don't see it in front-facing content as much Yeah, I get way less content around health and wellness like that specifically that you mentioned as well. I also just feel like, too, it had a huge boom post-pandemic. And now that we're very much, you know, for the most part out of the pandemic, we're a few years out. Like, I think people are kind of like, okay, we get it. Be healthy. Yes, like move on with life. But also, too, I I just feel like consumer habits are changing a lot, largely due to just like the impending recession that we are in or are about to have. And like, I think when it does come to a lot of health and wellness practices, those are just like places that people are just like scaling back on, at least for me too, personally, because it's so many, 
because most people myself included it's like I actually need to like think about how I'm gonna pay rent and just like actually feed myself before I can like consider like jade rolling or doing all these like super expensive practices so I would like to also think just how the economy is and like the uncertainties that lay ahead are also influencing how people are you know interacting with with the industry yeah I was gonna say COVID and the recession too because I think during COVID there wasn't any certainty on when life would quote go back to normal and so people were not saving up for vacations and holidays and experiences and now I think since we're out of the pandemic or things feel more normal people are saving up to go on that trip or people are saving up to go buy like experiences that they once didn't have during the pandemic um but yeah i am curious because you do see some content about like you know the huberman husbands and like the raw meat like or what am i thinking like the no bullshit no oil no poisons diet like those dudes on tiktok but i just feel like at least like months ago we were talking about how courtney kardashian has a supplement company like that Mm -hmm. felt so oddly misplaced and now it seems like the celebrity kind of endorsements and like the influencer world with wellness is just like falling off the map but yeah and i i'm also just curious for our generation too so you must really sell listen like yeah a what content you're getting but like also what's even trending in like the wellness world for you or what you would consider be trending yeah. i don't even feel like adaptogens are relevant anymore and yeah. i think all those like cute little dtc brands that we all were obsessed with back in you know 2018 2019 i'm like are they even relevant anymore like are people even buying from them anymore so yeah i definitely yeah. feel like there's a shift in in the industry um i feel like it's more just kind of like millennials that are partaking in that content I think like our generation has just been like has moved on and doing whatever the hell it is that we do on on socials yeah true so let us know your thoughts on that question no rhyme or reason to it I was just curious as I was like on you know the social medias today but today's pod we're going to talk about a few subjects that you guys asked about we're going to talk about things like ashwagandha seasonal affective disorder so I will call Emma back and then we'll get into this week's episode We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next partner is a product that Emma and I take every single day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to find a greens powder that actually blended together. The taste is hands down the best greens powder I've been able to find. It even has a mild tropical taste and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, you name it. For me, I started taking athletic greens because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I've always known that taking a greens powder is a great addition to one's wellness routine, but I could just never get past the unpleasant taste. This completely changed once I started taking athletic greens. It tastes so good that I actually look forward to drinking it every morning, something I never knew was possible. 
Plus, Athletic Greens contains dairy-free probiotics. And let me tell you, my digestion has never been better. Another thing that Emma and I love is that it's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, CMOS release. we're going to get into the main part of the episode today. Like Kate said, we're going to be touching on a whole range of topics. But to start, we're going to kind of talk about foods for brain health. I feel like cognition and how to quote unquote, biohack your brain are subjects that are always discussed on random podcast episodes. And truthfully, I find a lot of it to be like, goes a little bit over my head just because a, I'm not all too great or privy with like neurotransmitters and like neurons and all of that. But also too, it's like a lot of supplements that are often pushed on the listeners that I truthfully don't know if they're truly that beneficial. I think it's like much better just to like focus on like foods for, for cognition. I don't think this is really an area either that young kids specifically our generation probably think about. Um, so to kind of talk about like the main things to maybe look out for in terms of food to like help boost your brain cognition and maybe prevent yourself from, you know, getting any type of like Alzheimer's down the road. Um, I think this is like a great thing for you to maybe take notes on and like you can go to the grocery store and like it just makes it more fun to go grocery shopping for like, I'm going to find something that has like omega threes today. And like, this is a good way to kind of diversify what it is that you're actually purchasing. Um, so to start off flavonoids, which are a chemical compound that is like found in the brain, um, they have been found, there's been a few studies that suggest that they may play a role in preventing cognitive disorders. So these can really help with just enhancing brain flow and blocking beta amyloid buildup. A lot of like cognitive disorders are typically related to like inflammation in the brain, particularly chronic inflammation. Um, and so examples of flavonoids, there's two types. There's anthocyanins, which are talked about a lot, like on the Stephen Gundry podcast, if anyone listens to that. Um, so this includes things like berries, cabbage, eggplant, and anthocyanins are actually what make a lot of foods purple. So any type of purple food likely has some form of like anthocyanins in them. And then flavones uh, is another uh, chemical compound that's like falls underneath this umbrella flavonoids. This will include things like celery, artichokes, legumes. This is just a few. There's like a whole comprehensive list online if you just look it up. Um, another one is also omega-3s and really any source of like good healthy fats. And this is just because our brain is primarily made up of fat. I believe it's about like 70% of the brain is fat. And so like our brain really, really like runs and like does best when it has enough fat in its when we're consuming that. Um, so one example would be omega-3s and omega-3s, which a lot of people know if you listen to the podcast is that they reduce inflammation in the brain, um, stimulate brain cell growth, and also just have like neuroprotective properties. Some examples of omega-3s that you can eat, SMASH, which is an acronym for like low mercury fish. So that would be things such as like salmon, uh, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring, um, flax seeds and chia seeds for all the vegetarian and vegan girlies, fish oil as well. Avocados also have omega-3s. Um, so that's kind of like a 
big, broad range of things that you can eat, which is like great that if you are vegan or vegetarian, you can still get some, some form of omega-3s in your diet. Eggs as well are another great food for your brain, um, and particularly the yolks. And this is just because they contain high levels of choline, which have been found to reduce inflammation. And they're also the precursor to acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter and is very much essential for, for our brain and function. And then lastly, olive oil as well, because it has polyphenol and reduces inflammation, any type of like antioxidant, polyphenol, anything of like that world will be very, very beneficial for just like reducing any type of inflammation. And that's again, like I said, because higher levels of chronic inflammation are tied to cognitive decline, aka like memory loss. And then another one too, I know we talk about adaptogens a lot, but lion's mane truthfully is like probably the best adaption that you can be taking um, behind like ashwagandha. And this is because lion's mane specifically passes the blood-brain barrier, which is why it's like such a good adaptogen for cognitive function. And that's why you'll often see when a lion's mane product is getting marketed towards you, like they often will be talking about like the cognitive enhancing benefits that it has. And there's been like some some studies found, particularly on mice, and they have shown that uh, taking lion's mane has helped reduce symptoms of memory loss. Um, and again, like lion's mane, yeah, is like a more expensive thing. So it's like, you maybe don't need to buy that if you just like are focusing on like taking a really good fish oil or like eating organic berries. But I think like lion's mane can be a fun thing to take. It does feel like I'm sort of biohacking myself when I do take that. Um, but you definitely have to be very consistent with taking lion's mane. And that's kind of one area that I fall short on. I'll like do it for a week or two. And then I'm like, oh, I forgot these tinctures exist in my, in my apartment, but yeah, I think it's like kind of fun to think about food and like building your grocery list um, based on like different things that can help support your inner body beyond just like, I'm going to try to like eat as many vegetables and fruits and like really helps you expand and diversify your your intake of, you know, healthy foods. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like I've seen this on social media of like when you're eating a certain diet or a way of life or not like a diet in terms of like a way of eating particularly, but always thinking about adding stuff to your plate versus thinking like I need to restrict stuff. So any of the foods and supplements that Emma mentioned, like adding them in your day can only enhance your health and you can still continue to eat like what you eat as is. Um, Emma talked a little bit about ashwagandha, which will be our next subject today. I think this has been floating on TikTok recently. I haven't seen these videos once again. I think I'm fully off like wellness TikTok. Um, but a lot of people are going on TikTok and saying that ashwagandha has like fucked them up. It's made them like so totally like drained, just feeling like emotionally numb and like they have no feelings. And we've talked about ashwagandha on the pod before, but I hadn't seen this like trend. But then I like looked into it and there were a few articles like across BuzzFeed and uh, Forbes and Mike. And so there was this one boy who like made a TikTok just talking about how he thought he was going to use ashwagandha for things like anxiety and stress relief and sleep like we think. But he noticed some side effect that he said he felt like so emotionally unresponsive and detached. And now if you look up ashwagandha on TikTok, it has over six, 660 million views. And one of the top videos with 1.3 million views is talking about this like emotional suppression that people face. So a bunch of doctors are like talking about and, you know, pharmaceutical people and herbalists are 
are talking about ashwagandha now to sort of like debunk this like TikTok trend. So as we've talked about before, ashwagandha is an herbal supplement. It is an adaptogen and it's derived from roots of a plant. It has been used up to like 6,000 years in different cultures. It's an herbal supplement mostly used in like Indian medicine. And the logic of like what it's used for is mainly reducing that stress, reducing anxiety, but also it can help boost physical performance. Um, And there's been different studies that use like placebo versus ashwagandha to, to sort of demonstrate these things. Some research shows that ashwagandha can help physical performance because it helps with fatigue. So you're able to recover much quicker and then also helping with sleep, which we know is a huge aid to recovery. Um, My main comment on this is that like ashwagandha is not regulated by the FDA, which we know with all supplements. And so if you go to Whole Foods or if you order a supplement online, the dosage is going to vary from product to product. And I think when people look into supplements, I think dosage is something that's really easy to miss because you're like, okay, I went out and I bought collagen or I bought ashwagandha. I bought the thing. I'm good. And then when it comes to dosage and how you use it in your daily life, that's where things can create errors. And I've definitely been that way before. Um, Dosages vary. And then at the same time, like things like ashwagandha, that's an adaptogen, counteract with things like SSRIs. And so it's always important to talk to your doctor or your healthcare provider before you try any supplement. And I think because supplements feel like there's this just like, they're like this fluffy little like easy, funny thing. I don't need to actually think about it seriously versus if you were to be put on an SSRI, you would really consider everything it could counteract with. But I think people willy-nilly just like take supplements. And I think when you hear of ashwagandha, you're like, oh, that probably can't like harm me if I just add it into my routine. But I would say the main side effects that are negative you can experience from it would just be like nausea, headaches, drowsiness, um, diarrhea, and just stomach issues because your body is not like used to taking this herb. And then if you take too much of it, your body just does not want to have it in its spot, have that in itself. Um, and I think when it comes to like, does ashwagandha suppress your emotions? So things like stress and anxiety are going to be associated with the hormone cortisol, as we know. And in all of these studies that have come out on ashwagandha um, that use like ashwagandha versus the placebo, all of them have shown that the research says that it reduces these levels of cortisol. Um, and a lot of these like pharmacists that were in these interviews for articles were like, it's not common for people to experience emotional like bluntness, um, but it is about how the ashwagandha is taken. So they were kind of concluding that I think a lot of people were taking it probably in conjunction with things like SSRIs, probably and probably without considering what else is in their routine that it could have counteracting effects with. And the last point on that is that adaptogens are not meant to be taken long term. So if you take cordyceps, if you take reishi, any adaptogen under that umbrella, these are supposed to be used for like an acute short period of time because your body does adapt to having it as a supplement. And so over time, it's not going to produce the same effect that it did on day one as it is on day 30. So you should be using these in very specific targeted ways. Once again, not taking ashwagandha like daily for a year. And so that could be another issue that people have with it. But I'm curious what people think because I've taken ashwagandha for like probably 30 day periods on a time and I haven't had any of this emotional bluntness. I have felt a lot of like fatigue relief and stress relief, but I'm curious if other people have felt this kind of um, like sensation with ashwagandha. Yeah. I think another thing to keep in mind with adaptogens too, like if you have moon juice or any type of like particular brand in your pantry and you look at the serving size, it truly is like a teaspoon. And I think again, like Kate said, with adaptogens or supplements in general, it can be really easy just to be like, oh, I can just like take as much as I want because that's a supplement. Like it can't kill me because I was like able to buy it at like my grocery store. Yeah. But like, no, like they have serving sizes for a reason. So just be mindful of that. If you're like starting to feel super crazy, 
It might be because you took like a tablespoon of, of Rishi and like not saying that like I haven't done that because I've definitely have been like that person that just like randomly scoops up like as much of like whatever random powder I have in my in my fridge when I like dump it in a smoothie. But that's another thing to be mindful of too um, just because it can definitely be like a slippery slope and it, a lot of it just has to do with the fact that like yeah none of these are regulated. They're so easy to get your hands on that it almost like seems faked some sense when you are taking them and you don't really actually think they can truly impact you in negative ways. Um, I've never had any poor experiences with adaptogens either. So definitely curious to hear other people's experiences. Um, Getting into seasonal affective disorder. We got a few questions on this and I remember listening to a Mind Body Green podcast maybe like a month or two ago about SAD. And so I figured it would be very timely for us to maybe talk about it in some ways that you can kind of help navigate it if you are someone who experiences SAD. Um, so actually around like 5% of the U.S. adult population does, sof- does suffer from seasonal affective disorder, which is like a fairly decent amount. Um, and I'm sure that's like honestly like kind of like underreported. I'm sure like a lot more people do experience just like general symptoms and just like general kind of like winter blues and of course a lot of this just has to do with the fact that there's shorter days less light and these can really trigger chemical changes in the brain that might make you feel more anxious or depressed versus like you know in the spring and summertime um and there's like a few things that you can do to kind of like help support yourself through this period yes like it sucks like I'm definitely someone who is impacted by it not as much as I did like a few years in the past but it is like not fun it's like not motivating to like do stuff after work like I definitely just want to rot in bed and I convince myself that like you can't live life after work like in the winter because it's like dark at 4 p.m and I'm trying to like rethink that that thought but it's like definitely hard to kind of challenge so a few things that you can do are really prioritizing light so like I said days are shorter there's more darkness We're also just like all living in very, very dark homes. Like none of us are probably cleaning our windows. Like no one has like overhead lights in their like apartments these days. And we're all like sitting in an office. And so really just trying to prioritize getting that morning sunlight. Um, I know it's like still dark in the mornings. So like trying to get out during lunch or even just like turning on a bunch of lights in your house or, you know, opening up the shades, even investing in a sun lamp, like it might seem silly, but like these things can actually help you. And it's really just because they can help regulate your serotonin. And this all makes sense because like melatonin is obviously released or spikes when the sun goes down. And, you know, when it's 4 p.m., it's like completely pitch dark out, but like nobody's like actually ready for us to go to bed. So it really confuses our body. And so like our body doesn't really know how to fully adjust and it takes a while for our circadian rhythms to kind of fully connect once daylight saving does occur. So yeah, really try to find light. Um, It's obviously not easy when it's also like gray and dark outside, but even on those gray days, like still try to go outside and like be outside for 20 to 30 minutes just to get like a little bit of sunshine because the sun is obviously still shining and it's just being blocked by clouds. Another one, too, is, like, investing in your social life. Um, You know, it's easy to isolate yourself and, like, not be social just because it's cold and everything just, like, feels like it's, like, such a hassle. But, like, human connection and socializing will, like, really help with, like, feelings of, like, loneliness. And, like, these are, like, you know, social things. They don't have to be that crazy. You don't have to, like, be going out to the club and, like, you know, freezing your ass off to, like, see your friends. Like, I think just, like, having friends over for casual dinners or, like, a wine or a movie is, like, really, really great. And I think what's been, like, so amazing about you know, all these like run clubs and other like clubs that people are doing in conjunction with exercise is that you're like meeting people, you're doing something good for your body. And like, these are things that are kind of happening year round. So just like finding like things like that, that are kind of like low stake that just like get you out of your house for a short period of time. It doesn't have to be like a whole like day long event with your friends. 
Um, I definitely know for me, like as I have become more social now that I have like my swim crew, I definitely do feel less lonely just because I am having like regular daily interactions. So really trying to prioritize that and like interacting with people beyond just your coworkers. Next is going to be exercise. Um, we obviously know that there's so many benefits that come with exercise, but particularly in the winter, like it's going to really help increase levels of serotonin and dopamine and this, and also exercise will help pump oxygen into your brain. And there's like studies that have been found that more oxygen, oxygenated brain will be better at managing anxiety and depression. And just like everyone just like overall feels better about themselves when you do exercise. Um, and there's not really any form of exercise that's better than the other like you can do either something that's like more cardio based or resistance training and obviously like Kate and I kind of believe that you should be doing a mixture of the two but even if you're just doing yoga just like moving your body doing something good for your body um just obviously just like makes you feel so much more calm and relaxed afterwards um and if you can always try to exercise like in the morning in the winter just because this will also further boost cortisol and just make you feel more alert and awake for the day in terms of like supplements, um, vitamin D and magnesium are going to be your best bets for helping you maybe combat seasonal affective disorder. Um, vitamin D, like our levels are significantly lower in the winter because we primarily get our vitamin D from the sun. Um, and so taking a supplement may reduce symptoms, but like, regardless, this is a supplement that you should be taking, um, year round just because again, none of us are outside, um, as much as we used to compared to our ancestors. And then magnesium as well, it's great for stress and anxiety, but magnesium has a role of like, has a role in like over like 300 enzymes that are responsible for carrying out different reactions. And one of the roles is that it helps facilitate chemical conversions in the body that produce melatonin and serotonin, which again, are very, very vital for kind of impacting your mood in the winter time. And then just like general tips, I would say like pick up on old hobbies or start something new. I think this is like the great time to you know, dedicate yourself to maybe something that you like have forgotten about or have been wanting to do just because there's fewer things to do. People aren't socializing as much and just allow yourself to live a slower life during these months. We're constantly go, go, go and hustle culture. And, you know, in the spring and summer, we're like all traveling, seeing our friends, having fun, going out that like, it's okay to like slow down and like not be as quote unquote productive for a few months. Um, this is definitely something that I struggle with. I definitely still beat myself up when like, maybe I would like, don't go outside as much, or if I'm not like, you know, completing as many tasks as I like would maybe in the spring or summer, but like, it's okay. We're all kind of in the same boat. And then, yeah, like I said, just like having friends over for casual dinners, even when you don't want to, um, and just like trying to view any type of like social outing as like a fun, you know, thing, a fun little journey, you know, you got to dress up and just try to have fun with it. Yeah. I think it's really nice during winter to have like one weeknight, at least throughout the week to get ready and go do something at night. Um, I think it's really easy to fall into depression when you're sitting in one place from four to 10 PM. And so when you have something to look forward to in the winter, I think it's great. I usually don't like I usually do the thing where I hibernate in the winter, but kind of throughout November, December, I've been going out more. And like Emma said, it does just help the other aspects of your life and well-being improve. So we are not going to um, stay in the winter this winter, girlies. We're going to get out and be a little bit social. Not crazy, nothing too fancy, but just a little bit social. Um, last topic for this episode is going to be about raw dairy and raw milk. Um, you know, you see it on social media, you see the memes, and it's kind of confusing why it's surged. You know, raw milk is illegal. It's highly regulated in most of the country in the United States. Um, actually, July 1st of this year, Iowa became more than one of two dozen states that legalized the sale of raw milk. 
um, which is, and if you don't know, raw milk is milk that has not been pasteurized, which I'll get into more. But I kind of just want to talk about like, why are people flocking towards raw dairy? Like, what does this mean of like underlying socioeconomic conditions and like political tensions and also like the health reasons? Because I think it's, it's kind of getting at larger things in the country. Um, I think it's this sort of like anti-establishment, anti-government sentiment that people have where they have been let down by the food system. You know, when you think about the monocrops in our system, all the pesticides, the microplastics, when you think about um, the obesity epidemic in America, I think people post on the internet, you know, big pharma is poisoning us. Like there's that, there's that theory, the, through line of content all over TikTok, especially when it comes to like the raw meat and raw milk people. Um, but I think it's something to pay attention to. I think it's a sentiment of a larger tension people have with the government. Like we mentioned in the beginning, we're going through an inflation. We don't have universal health care in this country. Um, all of the racial injustice and all of the inequity that's going across. I'll lay my own political beliefs about what's going on in Palestine right now. But the fact that we are funding that as well, I think people are waking up to this idea of like, what the fuck is our government spending money on? And our food system is just so bad and there's so much inequality in it that I think that's a lot of the reason why people are moving back to eating local food and really wishing they could connect with their local farmers. Um, the theory of like globalization and kind of um, monopolization of our food system was intended uh, to help solve, you know, global poverty. GMOs were created to sort of uh, fend off against like world hunger we were seeing. But I think we're at a stage now where we have a little bit of data to analyze what has happened. And anything that's happened is like our food is becoming worse. The food quality is becoming worse. And I think that's why this like raw milk stuff is coming up. Now, here's kind of like the debate between, I guess, like raw milk advocates and kind of people that are not in fan favor of it. Um, the raw milk advocates kind of argue that it's this natural food. It has more antimicrobials and vitamins and minerals than pasteurized milk does. And they also claim that it's better for people that might have a lactose intolerance or any sort of allergy, allergy conditions to something like dairy. Um, and there's a bunch of like nonprofits that have kind of sprung up. Um, I studied politics in college. This is like very similar to kind of what happens with different interest groups. Like you'll see people start advocating for a certain issue and then you will see these kind of vague interest groups pop up that are intending to push for political advocacy for their cause. So there's this like nonprofit that has started called the Weston A. Price Foundation. And he's this dentist that claimed that strong teeth could be credited to raw milk. And it claims that it's this elixir. It makes a lot of like very sweeping claims about the benefits of raw milk. And so while like grassroots sort of organization has started to kind of push for people to go to their local farmer and like, you know, take take control of your health because the government doesn't give a fuck about you. There also is this huge concern with public safety and public health because the reason that we have pasteurized milk is a public safety matter. It is a health matter, right? We are pre preventing people from getting foodborne illness and disease and bacteria from eating this raw milk. And so I think it's kind of this area where anti-government sentiment of like, we need raw milk kind of smidges the line be between coming ugh, between being like conspiratorial about science if that makes any sense and i'm not saying everyone who consumes raw milk doesn't believe in science but i think sometimes when the raw milk stuff is being pushed it is undermining the credibility of institutions in the united states like i mentioned it is like an anti-government sort of stint and so the cdc is on the entire other side of this debate you know they cite numerous cases of serious or even fatal infections caused by raw milk stuff like e coli um it can cause a very life-threatening conditions and the cdc also says that, that you know there's no scientific evidence to back up these claims that the raw milk kind of lobby group is pushing you know unpasteurized milk can continue 
contain bacteria, parasites, and viruses. It can come out contaminated if a cow has an infection in their udder or something like that. Um, or even the equipment that's used on dairy facilities. As we know, how corrupt our food system is and how shitty animals are treated in most food systems. Anything that's happening to the animal is going to be reflected in your body if there's hormones, if there's steroids, etc. And pasteurization is something that does kill off that bacteria. And so I think it's a post-pandemic trend as well, which some doctors were saying, you know, people are looking for local or, quote, natural stuff um, versus eating like this processed American diet that we've been served to you. But yeah, there's no evidence that raw milk is any healthier, or I guess we don't have studies on it yet that have been funded to look at pasteurized milk versus raw milk. And, you know, the vitamin thing, I think they say like raw milk is the ultimate vitamin elixir. Um, certain vitamins are only reduced by 10% with pasteurization. So it's not true that they're like destroyed and like pasteurized milk has no health benefits to it. And I think a lot of these like people that study food safety and public health advances in technology who are trying to solve like food insecurity are really frustrated by this raw milk movement because this growing availability and, and anti-government sentiment of like providing raw milk everywhere is this loss of public health research and this loss of caring about um, everyone, right? Like I think if you have access to go get raw milk, you're probably at a certain point where you can go to your farmer and pay the premium price on it. You have the knowledge to discern, is this good quality milk? Is this not? Um, and so I think it's just this broader thing that kind of ties back to the point I made in the beginning with like health and wellness, where I think people realize like health and wellness is not attainable in many ways. We have a super healthy, almost orthorexic like sense of the population that is so into all this very, very specific niche health stuff, right? And at the same time, we have an ongoing obesity epidemic. We have ongoing food insecurity across the world. And so it's like pairing these two things together of like some people don't even have food on their table and then some people don't want to eat organic milk. They only want to eat raw milk because it's so such a niche specific thing. Um, and I think this is a tension that's going to continue in like the United States, at least for a long time. I think the anti-government stuff has definitely increased after Trump. It's increased after COVID. And like I you know, used to be really into the politics stuff. And I think after the 2024 election, there's definitely regardless of how it goes, I'm not in the prediction market. I think there's going to be really interesting like political realignments to look at of how people organize outside of political parties, if that's interest groups, if that's like local raw milk communities. Like I think Think people are really fed up with the entrenched political system and are kind of looking for local ways to organize and i think this is just like a lens to look at that i suppose but that's my that's my hot political thesis about the raw milk stuff yeah i have no interest in having raw milk i think it's also very <laughs> irresponsible for people on the internet to be like it is bad if you drink pasteurized milk like it's pasteurized for a reason like kate yeah. said and also too like it's one of the more like readily available like kitchen staples like for people who can't afford food and like to then demonize and like make them be like should i be drinking this i think it's like just does an incredible disservice to to our community um so yeah if you're drinking raw milk you're crazy for that um i just feel like that's a hassle to even like figure out and yeah. just like the idea of probably paying i don't even want to know how much money these like rich tribeca mommies are paying to get their their raw milk but i'm sure it's just like absurd yeah, and it's the thing where, like, some people have been consuming raw milk and really in touch with their local farmer for years, mm -hmm. but I do feel like this is going to be a trend again, What as with every yeah. fucking wellness thing. Seems like it's going to be long-lasting, whatever, and then you're like, oh, wait, everyone forgot about this a week later um, because they didn't see any, like, quick fix benefits of whatever they were thinking they were going to get from 
raw milk i suppose but yeah yeah i will also not be consuming it um i don't care to go out of my way to get it but let us know if you do and we're totally wrong about the raw milk thing i don't know anyways that's the episode um what else you got in your docket tonight dog any fun monday plans gonna take my makeup off drink some tea just kind of wind down um it's only 8 p.m here so i got some time to kill before it is a reasonable time for me to go to bed yeah, I feel that. I don't know what I'm going to do with my time. Maybe I clean my apartment, but that doesn't really sound appetizing. I'm going to maybe eat some garlic cloves. I don't know. Something for my throat. But, you know, that's CMOS Girlies. That's the pod. Um, we'll see you girlies on the meme page. Feel free to just DM us any, you know, episode topics as you think of them. Our DMs are open and we read them. So we're happy to see what topics you guys want. Um, but thank you for listening. And we will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>